0: You are listening to Pangea Cast, the digital voice of Pangea Church in Seattle, Washington. We are a church that follows in the way of Jesus to inspire others in the way of love. Visit us in person on Sundays or online at seattlepangea.com. Okay, my friends, I'm excited to step back into the series we started last time called Unstoppable, the Kingdom of God in the Book of Acts. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get a big picture of what happened after the resurrection. On Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And we talked about in our last installment of the series, both his post-resurrection Appearances that are recorded in the book of Acts, as well as his commission to the disciples as he ascends into heaven. Now, we talked about that ascension as more of a not just sort of floating into the sky, but really taking his seat as the world's true king, the world's true Lord. And so we're looking at just pockets of Acts for the next several weeks together. And this time we're going to move from Jesus's ascension into Jesus's descension. And, and maybe that's not the right way to put it technically, because technically what we're talking about is Jesus sending the Holy Spirit to the people of God in a new kind of way. And and what I want us to notice is that although Jesus is ruling from heaven, uh, he doesn't leave us on our own. In fact, Jesus comes down. Now, there's a few things that are really important to note. When we talk about heaven coming down, this is a huge deal. We have to take into consideration that down language is pretty insufficient. The the Bible really does use up and down language, but that's just the ancient understanding of cosmology of the day. Really, what we often see is that there's an interlocking reality where heavenly things and earthly things sometimes come into weird, strange contact. And when they do, we call those holy moments, right? And so, so this is what happens on this day called Pentecost for these Jewish Followers of Jesus several days after the resurrection. Here's, here's something that's really important to also note. We're going to continue talking about the kingdom of God, but I, I want you to remember what we talked about last time. When we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're talking about something that made sense to first century Jewish folks and those beyond Jewish um, identity. Because that's how the world was run. The world was a series of small kingdoms. And then at the time, at least where the Mediterranean was, was a bigger empire called the Roman Empire. And so the kingdom of God is what happens when those other kingdoms become less important and God's way of life becomes more important. And ultimately, what God desires is that God's way will be flooding the entire cosmos at some point in the future When Christ returns. But this is a kingdom of love, generosity, and justice, not a kingdom of patriarchy and oppression. And that's really important. And so, if kingdom language is hard for you, remember Jesus talks about parties, Jesus talks about banquets, Jesus talks about several other ways to understand what happens when God is in charge, when God is um, cultivating love amongst image bearers like you and I. And so that's what we're trying to trace. How did this um, movement of love start as the resurrection propelled it forward? Well, it starts in a lot of ways with Jesus ascending and the Holy Spirit coming down. If we could use that language, heaven and earth intersecting. I wanted to talk about this a little bit with you, and I, I remembered something that is always an interesting story for me when I was in college. I think I've shared this with some of you in the past, but it's, it's really relevant today, I think, in a way, because I was in college, and one of the things that I got to do for my grandparents who owned a um, broom and household cleaning supply factory, uh, they had me drive a truck like the one you're seeing here on the screen. Now, what was really cool about this big old diesel truck wasn't just that it rumbled and I felt kind of like a big deal when I drove it, um, but it carried supplies that I would take to Northern California that would then go throughout Northern California. I would take this truck up to an uncle and we would switch vehicles and I'd bring it back probably about a two and a half hour drive each way. And so this is something I did for extra money during college. And on one of those occasions, I had a buddy with me named Brad and we were driving and I did not pay attention to the gas and it just ran out. And so we pulled off to the side of the road and it was wild because here's the thing. When a diesel runs out of fuel, it's really bad for the vehicle. It's a lot different than regular gasoline in that way. And so it ran out of fuel. And you couldn't simply just come with more diesel fuel and it would be all good. You actually had to do a couple of mechanical things, which I can't describe. Come on, really? That that would make the truck work again. And so um, the first thing we had to do, though, was get pulled closer to safety. And so at one point, a CHP, a California patrol officer, sees us and has us pop it into neutral and literally pushes this massive truck with his front bumper, which tells you a lot about those cars they drive and pushes us into a safer pocket of the highway. And then we're like, okay, what are we going to do? So we run into town. We literally run up the on-ramp that was nearby. And we find that next like to the on-ramp, oddly enough, about a quarter mile maybe, there was a truck dealership that sold trucks like this and so we went and said hey we're desperate can you help us and and a guy actually came and gave us gas and fixed the mechanical issues and it was so cool because at the end of that he said look you don't need to pay me for my time or for my fuel I'm just happy to be able to help I mean what a gift and you know what I remember from that time on the side of the road is we were out of fuel like we literally couldn't keep moving and that's, that's interesting. When you think about the kingdom of God, you think about this movement of Jesus that we see in the Acts of the Apostles. It, it had the fuel it needed to be propelled into the future. And that fuel was Jesus's own historical reality of resurrection paired with the sending of Jesus's spirit, the Holy Spirit. Without that fuel, the movement would have been stunted. Without that fuel, this conviction that Jesus had actually raised from the dead and that the spirit actually could empower people, the, the movement would have been an idea. But it doesn't stay an idea. And so Acts is the product of something that is bigger than an idea. It's not a new philosophy. Acts is the recorded story of what it's like when Jesus propels a movement and sends a spirit. What it ultimately is trying to do is give a historical basis for how the church evolved and moved after the Holy Spirit was sent. And so that's what we're going to start talking about today in Acts chapter 2. And so... I want to jump into that. But before I do, I want to talk about this passage. It's a really important one from Jesus. Jesus has something to say. They're at a festival. It's getting close to the time he's going to be crucified. And he has something to say about the coming of the Spirit. And then we're going to jump into that story Acts. This is what he says in John. He says, On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and shouted, All who are thirsty should come to me. All who believe in me should drink. As the scriptures said concerning me, rivers of living water will flow out from within him. Jesus said this concerning the spirit. Those who believed in him would soon receive the spirit, but they hadn't experienced the spirit yet since Jesus had not yet been glorified. That's John chapter 7, uh, 37 through 39. So, So it's really important that we understand something. So even in John, um, the Holy Spirit is being referenced here as the one who is going to come once Jesus is glorified. This glorification, of course has to do with his resurrection and ascension, and um, we kind of like have unpacked that already. And so John has that same narrative in mind. It's very fascinating how Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, although sometimes telling the stories differently, have the same nuts and bolts, the same sort of framework for understanding who Jesus was and what he did and why it matters. And so it's really interesting that the Spirit here and in other places is equated with Living water, this experience of water that is moving and fresh, just like a movement is moving and fresh. You don't just stop when you're baptized, but those waters propel you into a life of following Jesus. And so we get um, we get further into this and we we just notice that water is an interesting analogy for the spirit. I get thirsty. In fact, I have a cup right here of water in case during this message, I have a sore throat because that happens. And sometimes I just need a little and maybe I do right now. Ah, Isn't it interesting? Some of you may have known someone who doesn't like water. Always interesting to me. That's a side note because I think water is like what we need to survive. But but here's what's really fascinating. Water is a life source and the spirit is equated with this life source kind of like losing gas on the freeway and not being able to move forward. Water is a life source that propels things into further life. It is essential to ecosystems and it is essential to our flourishing. No wonder the spirit is compared to water. And so now we step in and we think about this moment where the Spirit comes, and it's not like the Holy Spirit hadn't been at work, but most of the Spirit's activity up to this point had been centered around individual situations, and specifically when Jesus was here, Jesus himself was the full- Kind of experiencer of the Spirit. And it's as though the power of the Spirit was dispensed amongst his followers for doing miraculous things, but he was kind of the epicenter of that power and that grace and that living water. Now it's going to be dispersed all over the place. And so Acts chapter 2 starts out like this it says, When Pentecost day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, A sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. I want to admit something to you. This passage is weird. Let's just call it what it is like. This is weird, especially to those of us who are 21st century people who have been in situations where modern things make lots of sense to us. Modern medicine tends to make a lot of sense to us, at least in theory, it makes a lot of sense to us. A lot of us don't know how it works, but we know, yeah, when I get this vaccine, I'm protected from this thing. When I get this sickness, I can take this medicine. When I need surgery, they make me fall asleep, but it's okay because I'm going to wake up again. You know, like there's, there's all of these things that we kind of take for granted. But one thing that we struggle to take for granted are the things that go outside of the bounds of science, at least as we understand it. And this is one of those moments. I mean, what are tongues of fire and what is speaking in other tongues or languages? How does that work? Well, there's a lot there that I can't answer today, but I do think it's important that we talk about it a little bit. It's really a scene that is hard to imagine for many of us. It's hard to imagine. I mean, I don't know if there are literal pillars of fire that look like tongues sitting on each person I think it might be a way of saying it was so powerful that they just started saying stuff and it was like there was fire on them. There's something resting on them that enabled them to do it. Whether there were actual fires that looked like tongues, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's the best description the author could come up with from the stories and perhaps even seeing it in action. But what we do know is it's hard to imagine What's even more mysterious is they start speaking in other languages. Now, here's what I want to invite you to consider. If you believe in the resurrection, is this so far-fetched? If you believe in the resurrection, could this be something that actually happened? That's really hard for me because I don't have a lot of categories within which to like consider that. And so there's moments where I'm like, yeah, this is a pretty cool story, but is it really relevant to my life? Well, I mean, perhaps. And one of the ways that we can talk about it is this is a very important moment. The day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes, that is the like that is as almost as dramatic as the resurrection itself, right? So we can't imagine that every time someone encounters God's spirit that it should look just like this. But this was a dramatic scene where these Um, disciples of Jesus were able to speak the truth to other Jewish folks from all over the world. And by the way, Judaism is scattered all over the known world. And so uh, Hebrew is not like their first language at this time. And so they have all these other languages that are intuitive and they're hearing those languages. And it's like, what is going on? But the question is, can we trust that it is true? And then the next question is, why does it matter? Of course. And we're going to try and process some of that. You know, this is something that happened to me this week. Uh, it was windy. I looked outside. And yes, some of you saw this on Instagram. And it's, it's my umbrella from my house. Yeah, somehow my umbrella, Mary Poppins, it went its way out of our table and flew into the perfect satellite dish position. Yeah, I know. Crazy. Also, next time, we'll unravel it. It was one of, this is actually a new umbrella we got. And so it just isn't part of our routine. And so we just kind of forgot. Thank God it didn't hurt property or people. But what I love about it is it looks like a satellite dish. And sometimes that's what we imagine, right? When it comes to the spiritual life and maybe this Pentecost scene, that we're all like kind of aiming satellite dishes up towards the heavens and hoping God will transmit signals to us. And, and maybe that's a helpful metaphor in one way, but maybe in another way, it's, it's much more intimate than that. Maybe this is just one of those moments where the friendship of God is just overwhelming the disciples. And they can't do anything but talk about it. It keeps going. So this is verse 5 of chapter 2 of the Acts of the Apostles. It says this, There were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. They were all surprised and bewildered. Some asked each other, what does this mean? (laughs) By the way, good question to ask. What does this mean? Because this is wild, right? Okay, verse 13. Others jeered at them saying, they're full of new wine or they're drunk, right? That's funny. I mean, I don't, I don't care who you are or where you're from. That's actually a pretty funny accusation. Have you ever seen someone acting silly and just thought to yourself, what have they been smoking? What have they been drinking? You know, these are jokes that we still make today. And we know that they're not actually intoxicated, but they're goofy in that moment. or they are weird or silly in that moment? And I think it's good. I think it's okay to, to kind of notice that things are out of the ordinary. Now, here's what's fascinating. We can talk about intoxication then and now when it comes to Christianity and the spirit and these sorts of things. Let me think about this for a moment. You know, one thing that's really interesting to me is um, I went to a Bible college that, on paper, now this wasn't the view of every professor, but on paper, they believed. That the gifts of the Holy Spirit, these sort of miraculous things like speaking in tongues or languages, maybe you've heard of some of this. Uh, maybe it's brand new to you, by the way. And um, we'll, we'll talk more about it perhaps in another time. But, but, you know, gifts like healing and all of these things that feel very supernatural. Uh, I, at this school, it was like, no, those things don't happen anymore. That was just for the age of the apostles. That was just to like set us up for when we had finally have the completed Bible. So we don't need these amazing, miraculous things anymore because we have the Bible, the greatest miracle besides the resurrection, essentially. Uh, I've never really been comfortable with that view. And by the time I was out of college, experience after experience challenged that view quite a bit. I've never been part of a church that called itself a Pentecostal church, but I, I definitely have had, personally, I believe, charismatic, to use that label, experiences with God that I have no other way to explain. You know, on the other end of the spectrum, it's very interesting because I struggle with this is sort of, you know, you start with very conservative churches and not all conservative churches, but it's a particular kind of conservative church that's like, no, that stuff doesn't happen anymore. Well, on the other end, it's people that um, struggle with the ideas of those conservative churches, some of them growing up in those environments and saying, no, that can't be real, but then coming in full circle and saying, but this also feels really weird. So what do I do with that? Or some people grew up in a a restrictive setting that said you had to speak in tongues to be a real Christian, or you had to be open to all of these things to be a real Christian. And uh, sometimes the gifts or the so-called manifestation of them can be used manipulatively. And that's hard, right? So on the one hand, they don't happen because of the Bible. On the other hand, they don't happen because my modern sense of intuition doesn't make it feel like it could happen. Plus all the baggage from people who manipulate, right? And we're stuck in this place of what do we do with that tension? And that's an honorable question to ask. Hear me, there is no judgment for any place you may find yourself on that spectrum. My belief is that scripture teaches that miraculous things continued to happen through the first century and by extension through the rest of the church age, which we are still part of. And so that's a conviction I have. It doesn't always look clean. It doesn't always look clear. And it doesn't always happen for everyone. But I still want to say, like, if the Bible teaches this, if Jesus models this, if the apostles model this, if the early deacons model this, I want to be someone who attempts to be open to it. That's hard. And so wherever you are in that spectrum, I understand. You know, and then I think about the intoxication factor. It's really interesting to me. Um, Jesus, as we looked at earlier, compares the spirit to living water. And in modern medicine, we have this fun analogy. And this is just for metaphor and analogy. But did you know it's actually possible? They say, hey, you're drunk, dude. That's why you're acting so weird, you know, in Jerusalem. But did you know water can actually have the same effect on people? In fact, if you drink too much water too fast, you can have an intoxicating experience. It's called water intoxication. And so I like to imagine this situation, metaphorically speaking, as, yeah, they're acting goofy. They're acting weird. And it's the kind of intoxication when you're over flooded with water. This happens to be the spirit. They're overwhelmed with the goodness and beauty of God. And so it looks a little weird. I want to be open to the weird. I want to be open to the possibility that my box is too small while also saying, let's make sure that we're not using any of these sorts of ideas, prophecy, miracles, et cetera, to weaponize or to put these, un, um, these unjust burdens on people to say you must experience God this way to really be a Christian or uh, you know kind of put too much authority into pictures or images or words or prayers that we may ha- think we're having about people, we can be wrong. We can be totally wrong at times, but being weird, that to me, isn't part of the problem here. Being weird is actually sometimes evidence that God is doing something uh, counter to the ways of normalcy. And I'm, I'm okay with that, but it's, it's messy. It's complex. And so when we think about what's happening here, there's a bunch of ways we can respond, and what I want to do is just say, what if we respond with openness to the fact that God is always being active for our good? And this is a catalytic moment where that was launched in a new way. So let's think about this. This is an Instagram account that I found recently that I think is awesome. In Yorkshire, there's a house with this sign. You have now entered the jurisdiction of, of the Ministry of Silly Walks commence silly walking immediately i love that and so they have like on this account they just like post videos of people just being goofy as they walk by i mean do your silly walk in your living room right now yeah especially if you have kids like get all crazy like you know i what can i do in front of a little camera right now but but you get the idea have some fun with this here's here's the thing being silly sometimes is cathartic weird is sometimes beautiful And I think when it comes to the Holy Spirit, as weird as it feels, it can be one of the most beautiful, cathartic parts of our faith and our faith story. And so Jesus ascended so that the Spirit descended. Jesus ascended so the Spirit descended. And this is so important. Without the Spirit, my friends, we would be living in the land of ideas. We'd be stuck. We needed a helper, a companion, as Jesus highlighted in his own teachings, the spirit. We needed the presence of God with us. And this is what I want to land on. Pentecost, this experience of God sending the spirit, this beautiful upside down kingdom moment where people are empowered not to go out and conquer the world, but to go out and love the world, to go out and heal the world, to go out and be the kind of people who say, you don't have to be oppressed any longer. You do not have to be slaves to idols any longer. You can know a God who is as personal as you and I. Pentecost, my friends, is why we know Jesus as a friend instead of an idea. The Holy Spirit is why we can be friends to the king of the universe. This is hard. I am someone who struggles with this all the time. I vacillate between ideas about God. I'm a theology guy, as many of you will know. I've done a lot of study and this kind of thing. And so this sort of abstract, theoretical part of my understanding of God, part of my faith, that, that's really huge. And I don't think it's wrong. I think it's actually part of how God wired me to connect with God. However, what I've found is if I put all of my eggs in that basket, I, I feel empty at the end. I feel kind of distant. I feel disconnected. And so I always have found myself coming back to this idea that all of that matters because God is my friend. All of that matters because the Spirit gives me access and friendship with Jesus. What do you need right now? What kind of friend do you need right now? A lot of us are facing some really challenging uncertainties, whether it be about jobs, family members, the, the disconnect we have when we just want to be with people and we can't be with people. Jesus says, be with me. The spirit has opened the doors of the heavenly realms where Jesus doesn't just sit passively, but Jesus comes into our reality through the spirit and says, come be with me. Come rest in me. Come Be my friend. I can't think of a greater moment in my own lifetime where a friend like Jesus makes so much sense. I can't. And I'm talking at a very superficial, like kind of personal level. Of course, we need Jesus as a friend during um, actual trauma and pain and all of that. And some of that is tied up in this situation for some people. But when it just comes to the day-to-day grind of life, right now, I I haven't figured out how to make this normative. But what I long for is to have a friend like Jesus. And my friends, the book of Acts says, because the Spirit does silly, surprising, weird things, you have access to that friend. You have access to that Jesus. And so as we wrap up, I want to invite you to consider what patterns might open you up to greater friendship with Jesus during this season. Today, I shared on social media that the Pray As You Go app has been helpful for me, that the Dwell app, which is a Bible, um, immersive Bible experience where a voice will read scripture to you and there's music and background stuff. uh, That's been really helpful. I've been doing push-ups. I've been jumping on my trampoline. I've been trying to just do things. But as I do them, ask the question, um, how do I connect with Jesus through this? How is Jesus my friend? Because when we become better friends to Jesus, when we become great, more greatly aware of the fact that Jesus wants friendship with us, nothing else, nothing else can change our lives. Nothing else can change the world like that relationship. So friends, I'm going to pause and pray and I want to invite you to re-examine if having a friend like Jesus during this season might be one of the most comforting, empowering sorts of things that you could explore. Perhaps it might even make your experience unstoppable as God shows you God's beautiful, loving kindness and friendship. Let me pray. So Jesus... Thank you that you are our friend. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is the pathway to connecting with you in such an intimate way. I pray for everyone who is um, watching and listening to my words. That you would be gentle and kind and that they would consider a new sort of openness to you. We don't know why certain miraculous things happen and certain other ones don't. But I do hope that we'll increase our knowledge and awareness of one of the greatest miracles you offer. And that's an encounter with you and the normacy and the regular and the sort of mundane spaces of daily life. Thank you that you are with us. Amen.